Hey guys, it's Q&A Tuesday. Jump into some questions from a gentleman by the name of Martin. Uh, and Martin writes, Hey Roman, been a while since I emailed you, but I always love your content and passion. Doing a job you love and you can make a living from it is something that has occurred to me that I really should be doing it. And it is you that made me realize that I have to make changes in my life. Really. Interesting. So I have a good relationship with my AD. I like the guys a lot and he's always been honest with me. When the be all I wrote, came out. I emailed him two years ago and asked to be put on a list. He told me that 300 clients had requested one, so short answer was no, because all I buy is steel sports model. Not happy, but I appreciated the honesty. He never told me that I had to buy something else to help. So it never occurred to me to buy a precious metal model. So I bit the bullet and I said, if I buy a Yachtmaster 42 in white gold, how long would I have to wait? He replied that you could have both now. Now I have no plans to flip either watches. He also told me I would be surprised as to what he had in the safe. Hmm. So finally, I get to my question. What do you think about the Yacht Master 2? I'm a design historian. I pay attention to details that others might miss. The case design of the Yacht Master 2 is really interesting. The line from the Lux to the Crown Guard is sleek and beautiful. The Crown Guard has been integrated. I have not measured, but the lug to lug on this watch is crazy. Having the black ceramic and oyster flex strap reminds me of designs by the famous Aubrey Birdsley designer. Rolex are very conservative with the design, so I find the case of the Yachtmaster quite radical and wondered what you thought. Happy New Year to you and yours. Kind regards, Martin. First, to go back to what happened with your AD, I've told you guys numerous times. You'd be surprised if you walk into an AD and say, hey, I want to buy a Platinum President, and but I also want a Batman, right? Or a sub, or one of the, one of the hot stainless steel pieces. You'd be surprised what I have in my safe. What's in the box? Also doesn't surprise you. All these ADs have these pieces. It's just that they're either going to wholesale them to guys like me at a, at a very large premium, or they're going to sell it alongside with some other piece that they can't get rid of. Usually it's the latter. They will sell it with some other expensive piece or a piece that they can't get rid of. The Yachtmaster 2 Oyster Flex is one of those pieces. It's not the best seller. Yachtmaster as a line has never been a great seller. The older Yachtmaster, forget about it. It's, a, it's still a dog, no matter how hot the market, Rolex market may be, because people just don't like it. When they came out with the Yachtmaster 2 in yellow, gold and then white gold and they just did a two-tone and a steel, those did uplift the line a little bit and this was just another variation. You have to consider the fact that Rolex has always been hot, it always will be hot and look, from time to time you just run out of to make, right? What do they do? They get out there, they take a model, they redesign it completely and they can come out with something new. What was the selling point on that particular watch is obviously the fact that it's an Oyster Flex because they did really well with the Oyster Flex Daytonas where historically Rolexes on straps didn't sell as well. The Rolex Daytona Oyster Flex really helped them out, so why not do the next logical thing and sort of expand the Yacht Master line even further, sort of go back to a design that's reminiscent of the older model, which is a bit of a dog, but completely redesigned. Not so sure if they took their inspiration from Aubrey, but uh, nevertheless, I can see how you put the two together, specifically when it comes to colors and the lines, etc. I don't think it's that radical, right? Because one of the things you said, there's a very radical design. If you take the old Yacht Master to put the Oyster Flex Yacht Master next to it, you've noticed the dissimilarity in design, right? It's actually very, very similar to the older style. It's just dressed up a lot differently. Maybe that's what you find to be uh, radical, but again, how radical is it in a world where black ceramic has become the norm for a lot of companies out there? I guess we can thank uh, Audemars Piguet and Panerai for rubber straps. And you know, Audemars Piguet has been using rubber straps for quite some time. And, and Panerai is the one brand that you think of right away when you think rubber strap to begin with, right? In a lot of their diver watches, which makes sense. Of course, other brands out there do use rubber straps. So I wouldn't necessarily call it radical. I would call it different from the rest of the lineup. It certainly is different, but not quite radical. So I hope this sheds a little bit of light into your question. 
And cool story with your AD, but not surprising. I've talked about this for quite some time at this point. Just wanted to read something from Jamie. Roman, I just watched the latest Q&A video where you have answered my husband's question in relation to Alange on Q&A 126, and we're super grateful for that. Do ignore the question I sent on the next Q&A as they are the same. I was helping him to send the question, thought it was a random pick Q&A, but it seems that you answer every single question with depth inside to viewers. This is the part that amazes me hands down. You're the best when it comes to horology on YouTube. Thank you once again. Stay safe, Jamie. Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. Second of all, do submit your own question. I'll be happy to answer it. And I'll tell you exactly how I pick these questions, right? So uh, I have a dedicated email where all YouTube questions come in, right? And kind of goes into a dedicated folder in my inbox just to help me automate it. I get upwards of five to 600 emails a day. Most of them I skim through. They're company emails, sales emails, and things of that nature, but a lot I have to answer. Oftentimes I find myself in email jail. When it comes to Q&A Tuesdays, what I do is I pick questions based on originality, one. And by original, I don't mean that your question has to be super original. Originality meaning that, you know, a lot of the questions that come in, they sort of tend to be the same. You know, a lot of things on Rolex, a lot of things on resale value. I have, I have to consider that I can't make my Q&As about Rolex and resale value of watches, right? Uh, even though this is some of the things you guys want to hear about. And at least in one Q&A, those questions do pop in still. And Rolex is going to be part of any Q&A for the most part because, look, it's the most popular brand. It's only normal, right? Once I do find those questions that I like, I will put them in a separate folder. That's called to-do Q&A. And I simply go into that folder as I do it. I'm looking at it right now. I don't go in any particular order. I just go from top to bottom or from bottom to top, whatever it might be. If there's a quick question to me, and I get a lot of those, I will just respond via email. Now, you guys have gotten responses to me via email, just because I don't like ignoring emails, right? And that's one thing I don't do. Nobody puts baby in a corner. If you guys are out there taking the time out of your day to sit behind your, your laptop, your iPad, or whatever it might be, or your iPhone, to watch me for an X amount of time and give me your attention, the better least I can do is respond to the email that you sent. And this is what I try to do. When I do take an email and say, hey, uh, I'm going to answer this on air. I usually respond with something quick. Great question. We'll air. Good topic. We'll discuss and so on and so forth to try to make it as personal as possible. And uh, I put it in that folder and then I go off and I read it, which is exactly the same thing I did with your email. I responded to you via email, if you remember. And at the same token, I decided to discuss this on Q&A because this is very heartwarming to me, honestly. And that's why I decided to decide and sort of go through that process. Uh, I don't think... And you guys welcome to email me and speak up. I don't think there has been an email that I didn't answer unless I went to spam or I missed it or something of that nature. In the very least, you will get a short response from me, whether that response is, is aired on the video or it's simply responded to you in an email. I try to do my best to answer all emails. Here's a good one from Brian. Uh, Happy New Year. Two questions for 2021. Happy New Year to you too, Brian. Uh, number one, why are dealers and, are, and collectors usually secretive around disclosing their particularly numbered piece in limited edition watches, not the serial number? obviously, but just the X out of the Y. It's usually uh, both. And the reason is privacy reasons. You have to understand some, some of the people that we do business with uh, are not allowed to sell to us, a lot of authorized dealers. So if I purchase something from an authorized dealer and I get it out there online, visible to the world, be it inst or Instagram or social media or a video, what we normally do is we block out the serial number and we block out the limited number, because those are the two numbers that the watch can be identified by. It can be identified by the serial number, sometimes the case number, it can also be identified by the limited edition numbers. I never have seen a, a scenario where people would block one number and the other, unless it's just a blunt mistake when it comes to 
putting stuff online. Oftentimes, dealers are also out there being secretive out of the limited edition numbers because they don't have the watch that they're selling you. Numerous times, I've talked to you guys about the model of selling air, right? Which is something that we employ here just the same. This is how this business started. I started by selling pictures online. So oftentimes, I don't know what the limited number is. And say you call me in, Look, out of 10 phone calls that I would get in, one, let's say, ends up in a purchase. So I have a 5 to 10% chance of, of closing a deal out of 10 phone calls, right? Because you guys go out, you shop around, you call other dealers and so on and so forth. So what happens is what I don't want to happen is I don't want to reach out to a dealer and say, hey, I'm looking for this particular watch. If that dealer doesn't have that watch, he'll call the company, right? And if he starts calling the company and asking for a limited edition number of that particular watch, and then you call five other dealers and they all do the same thing, then... This watch is being shopped and those dealers could potentially get in trouble because that's when the manufacturers smell, hey, this is definitely an internet shopper out there looking for this particular watch. So oftentimes I would tell you, you know, we're not disclosing the number for privacy reasons, right? But if I don't have the watch and I can't find out that limited edition number unless I know you're buying 100%, oftentimes we'll be secretive, but it's not really being secretive, we just don't know. Right? And we don't want to take the next step to find out, to make my dealer call the company, find out the number because it's too much of a step. It becomes too much of a hassle, if that makes sense. And I'm being completely transparent with you guys, right? Uh, but sometimes it's just that. Uh, if a random person calls me out of the blue and says, hey, what's the serial number or uh, limited edition number on that watch? I don't know what the intention is, what, what they're going to do with that particular serial number. They could very well be somebody that's looking to make a fake watch and utilize that same serial number. Is that really going to hurt me in the long run? No, but somebody's going to get hurt. And often the none, you know, I, that, that might be questioned in regards to my watch that's real that I saw where all of a sudden another one shows up that's a really good fake with the same exact serial number. So, yes, there are reasons to not disclose serial numbers. And I treat serial numbers and limited edition numbers just the same because they both can identify a particular watch. Hope that helps. And the next question was, with Royal Oak and Nautilus and the other Gentinesque watches being so hugely popular in the market, why is the only brand with a legit integrated gentle design, IWC, and their engineer line not utilizing that legacy for all it's worth to fuel more hype and attention to their brand? The mo their most recent engineering design is not bad, just seems like a hugely missed opportunity. So what's your take on engineering line in general, both in design and current market positioning? I love the engineering line because of Genta, because I'm a Genta fan. But the statement that you made in the question is regards to why they're not utilizing the Genta heritage. Do you see AP out there? Screaming and yelling, Gerald Genta Design, Gerald Genta Design, or, no, or Paddock for that matter? No. Companies out there are screaming and yelling their company name, Paddock, Rolex, Automart BA, IWC, because they're not going to waste effort promoting a watchmaker. There were many genius watchmakers that came and, came and went from various companies, went from company to company even. You can't just all of a sudden start advertising Genta. First of all, there might be legal implications. I don't know what the contract stated. But for the most part, think of it this way. If you're a car manufacturer making very fancy cars that are, that are in high, huge demand, are you going to advertise your chief engineer that may leave after five years of working with you to go to another car manufacturer? Or are you going to advertise your name? Of course, you're going to do the latter. Because look, marketing is something that's not done overnight, right? Gerald Genta hype became from, you know, guys talking about these watches, guys doing research into these watches, looking into a gentleman like the Gerald Genta. But, for, but Gerald Genta was not the only genius in the horology world. There were plenty other watch designers or watchmakers out there that were just as good at him, if not, if not better. It just so happens that his name is now tied to probably two of the most popular lines out there, which is the Nautilus line and the Royal Oak line. But with IWC, 
ingenuity, that, that watch was never really, really popular. It's very hard to, if you have something that's super unpopular, if Audemars Piguet today was to re-release the Edward Piguet line, they would do extremely bad with it because it was never popular to begin with, regardless of who the designer might be in the back of it, right? And that's sort of the fate of the ingenuer. You know, whether it was Gerald Genta or somebody else that was behind designing that particular watch, because it was a dog to begin with, as we like to call it, it's going to be very, very tough to revive that line. Although some of the later stuff is nice, and I, I am fond of some of the engineers out there. Uh, I think the biggest issue with the engineer line was, especially you know, some of the later models, is, again, to sort of have that integrated case, uh, much like AP extended it. It's a big watch to begin with, and a lot of, not a lot of people just took a liking to it. That's all. It's, it's nothing more complicated than that. So I hope that kind of answers your question. Quick question and more of an FYI to you guys uh, from uh, from a gentleman by the name of Douglas. Roman, love your channel content on the real life advice. Found your channel around a year and a half ago with some research in LB and your candid commentary. I think I would like to do business with your company. Thank you. Uh, with that said, I'm not a big money guy, but I do like quality for value. Uh, your What's On My Desk series and looking on your website has shown me many different brands and styles that I like to look by what you like but I have never seen in person. I'm kind of a unique situation where I can fly anywhere, anytime, if I want to. I'm perhaps you're a pilot. Um, so the question is, I find something on your website that I like. Does LB.com have a counter that I could look at and try on a piece before I purchase it? P.S. Keep up the good work, Doug. And the answer is yes, absolutely. We're not open to the public. We're not a store. And we don't really have a counter. We're a 25,000 square foot facility. We're an office space slash warehouse space, right? A lot of people do come in here. But what, they, what you normally want to do is you want to call ahead of time. Yes, we have our working hours. We're here at 9 to 6, Monday through Friday. But the reason I say you may want to call ahead of time, if you're going to come in here expecting to look at a particular piece, it may not physically be here. A, we may not have it in stock. B, it may be in New York. C, it may be in Hong Kong. Uh, D, it may be on memo out to dealers There's because we do a lot of wholesale. Or last but not least, we could, we could be out on the trade show where there'll be no inventory here. So my suggestion always is to call beforehand saying, I'm such and such, I want to come over, make an appointment, take a look at some watches, particular watches. So if you are going to fly in from somewhere and you came to look at a particular watch and that, hap that watch happens to be in my Hong Kong office, you know, it's going to be a waste of your time. Yes, you'll be able to see other watches always, but the particular one you're looking for, if it's not physically here, kind of a waste of a trip if you ask me. So that's an option that's always available. And last but not least, I told you guys before without return policy, right? So uh, if, if it's something that I have in stock and you can purchase the watch, ship it overnight, you don't like it, put it back in the box, get a refund. That's that easy. But Doug, if you are in the area and you want to come look at some stuff, I'll be more than happy to meet you. Next question comes from Luis. Hi, Roman. Thanks for the awesome content. I'm a fan of your channel. Thank you. I own a Sea Dweller 4000, reference uh, 116600. I would like to get your opinion on how many of them you think are out there. What is your views on the future collectability of this model and where you see potentially trading at the long term? I told you guys before, anybody out there that tells you how many of something a particular company made, be it Rolex, be it uh, AP or any other brand for that matter, they're lying to you. Nobody knows. I will tell you one thing, there's tons of them out there. Uh, in, but in regards to future collectability, look at the older ones. Look at the older sea dwellers. See what they see where they're trading at. See how hot they are. And the answer is they are hot. If you want to talk about vintage watches, surprise, surprise. And, and the overall vintage market, the number one seller is still Rolex, right? Because if it's the number one seller in the modern world, it's going to be the number one seller in the vintage world. So pretty much any Rolex you have out there is going to be a future collectible, right? It's just going to take a lot of time. My single red Samaritan that today trades upwards of $30,000 right? It's 45 years old, right? And that's why it's so collectible. And it's also that collectible because mine happens to be complete and clean and all original and blah, 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 and all those things. So if you're going to hold on to that watch for 45 years, uh, 
I mean, this thing debuted at what, in uh, 2014 or 15 or something, right? Uh, I don't know when you bought it, but let's say you bought it when it first came out. If you're going to hold on to this for another 30, 40 years, absolutely it'll be a collectible. Unless the world flips upside down and Rolex becomes a brand, which I highly doubt it ever will, pretty much any steel Rolex for certain that you purchase today is going to be a collectible. But, said what, what, in the butt. There's always a but. I sound very confident when I say that, right? But think about production numbers 45 years or 50 years ago versus production numbers today. Production numbers today are probably, I don't know how many times more than the production of 40, 50 years ago, right? So we may find ourselves in the position where there's just so many out there that may take 100 years for that watch to become collectible. Sort of like the more that's out there, you know, it takes longer to become collectible. Sort of the rule of thumb regardless of what the brand is. Right, and I don't see what they're going to be trading at potentially, but you can certainly always go back and look at the vintage lineup of similar watches and see what the retail was back 45 years ago what, versus what they're trading today, and you're always going to find that number to be astronomical. But don't be fooled by that either, as I said, because again, as times change and production numbers go up, which I can't tell you what they are, I can just tell you they made a ton of them. Once those production numbers goes up, so does collectability, right? Again, look at collectible Rolex. It's usually the ones that, you know, they made a little tweak to the dial or some changed something around or use a different material on the loom plots or something like that and only made it for a year to two years. All of a sudden, that's the collectible Rolex. With something like this and some of the modern work Rolexes, I can tell you that the numbers are, production numbers are much, much higher than its older counterparts, which only means that the collectability, or when it becomes vintage, is highly desirable and, and, you know, not a lot of supply may take a bit longer. So, Louise, hope that helps a little bit. Here's another good question in regards to box and papers. Uh, Jason asks, hey Roman, you're doing a great service to the watch community. Keep it up. Thank you. I have a hypothetical scenario based upon what I've learned watching you. Box and papers have proven to be a deciding factor when it comes to pricing. I've watched you say that when it comes to certain watches, it, sh it should not be the end all be all. If someone bought a watch at a time when a box and papers weren't a huge deal, the quandary is this. Being the box and papers over the last decades have become a big issue. What is the newest watch you would hesitate buying because it didn't have papers? I bring this up because I recently saw a listing of a 2020 six-figure AP with no papers. How can this be possible? Did this dog eat the papers? When I briefly talked about box and papers and what the value differences are, I, I also one, one of the main points I made was that it's you guys that are the driving factor. It's you guys that are not comfortable having these box and papers, when in reality, they're kind of irrelevant. But the, mar the watch market is based on a consumer. Any market is based on a consumer. It's what the consumer wants and what they're willing to pay or what they want more versus something else. No, really drives the price, right? You can compare box and papers to condition of a watch, complete or not complete, right? Uh, and you can slice it either way you want it, but at the end of the day, it's you guys that are the driving factor when it comes to this stuff. You are right. I learned it by watching you. But you were asking specifically about how can a newer watch or how new of a watch is acceptable to... to not have box and papers like for example it should be pretty acceptable that you know a 20 30 year old watch is okay not to have box and papers but a watch that's only a year old or half a year old should have box and papers it should be unacceptable and that's that's a false statement and i'll tell you why rather than explain it, i'll give you some examples i have clients today and i've had clients for many many years whenever i sell them a watch i keep the box and papers you know why because they lose them and they don't care for them i also have clients that i've seen physically come into my office by a $50,000 watch, and when I hand them the box and papers, I've seen him say, ah, you know what, I don't need that. I'm, I don't plan on reselling this watch, and I, don't, I could care less of keeping these box and papers. They're just piling up on my closet. You have guys out there that literally treat box and papers as if it's a candy wrapper that you throw away once you eat your candy. And yes, it is true. I know it sounds nuts, but it is true. Because again, a lot of people out there follow what I say. You know, they buy these things as expensive toys, not investment. They don't plan on reselling them. And to them, 
those boxes are just going to pile up in their closet or wherever they choose to keep them, right? Another scenario, you have guys that buy watches, then go to resell them, but because they may be a public figure, somebody of importance, politically, celebrity, this, that, and the other, and when there's a name on their papers, they will never give up those papers because they don't want watches out there floating around with their name on it. That's another big scenario, and I've seen this happen numerous times. Sometimes I buy watches from royalty or from royal families and things of that nature. They don't want their name out there for one reason or the other. Maybe because this watch was passed down to a third nephew from the Sultan in Oman or, or you know, a grandson of an important sheikh, and all of a sudden, you know, he doesn't want him to find out that he resold that watch because it was given to him as a gift because he decided to spend the money on another Ferrari or something. I don't know. Again, hypothetical situations, right? So there's many, many reasons why watches will be out there without papers. And the number one reason, they get lost. They literally get lost. Uh, I'm in the midst of selling one of my YouTube fans, and you know who you are, a particular watch. You know what I have with that watch? It's an AP. I won't mention any names or what the AP is. But the watch has archive papers with it because the original card was literally lost. Now these companies go into these credit card looking things. Things get, those tend to get lost a lot easier, right? So I told my client, I said, listen, Take this one, you're saving yourself a couple of grand, two, uh, two three thousand dollars versus one that would have that plastic card. You know what I have with it? I have a picture of the original card because the original owner that had the watch, he would take pictures of all his warranty, keep them on his phone. Those things tend to get lost, right? And so the answer to your question is there's no timeline where it's acceptable to buy a watch without papers, no matter how new or how old it is. It's just a question of whether or not you're someone that wants to watch with, with boxing papers or without papers. But there are so many other reasons that I, I can tell you stories for days in regards to what happened to people's papers. Did his dog eat him? Yeah. Oh no, the dog ate it! It's happened. It's very rare, but it has happened before. The dog has eaten the warranty papers or destroyed a box from a watch. A flood that happened in the basement destroyed box and papers. To a fire. There's so many things that can happen. A nasty divorce where a wife has literally taken a bunch of stuff and thrown it out. In the last 19 years at this point of being in business, I have seen it all. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Including the dog eating the paper. So I hope this sheds a little bit of light into your question. I'm going to finish this one off from a gentleman by the name of Steve that says, Hey Roman, at the moment I'm a one watch guy. As you always say, Rolex is first money watch and it's true in my case. One of the main factors that caused me to buy Rolex was the reputation of being a robust watch that you could drop and it will still be accurate. I'm just as vain as everyone else. My question is, would other brands are just as robust and well-made as Rolex and still attainable, excluding RM? I've heard APs are somewhat fragile. Is this true? Depending on the watch, of course. Plenty of lineups out there. If you consider Rolex being only really having a sporty lineup, ex Cellini excluded, we won't count them, right? But majority of the watches that Rolex has made were two watches to begin with, meant for diving, meant for flying, meant for doing, meant for doing a lot of active things. And they, till this day, this is what they are. They're a true sports watch company. You look at a brand like AP, they have a sports line versus a non-sports line. You put on a dressy watch from Audemars Piguet, it's not going to be as robust as a Royal Oak. As far as rumors that APs are somewhat fragile, yes, some are, some aren't, right? These rumors come out out of single experiences. You, can ha you could have had a user that had a Royal Oak that went somewhere and did some physical activity and banged the watch around and it stopped working. Well... How badly did he bang it around? If you think that you can't bang a Rolex enough to where it'll stop working, oh, absolutely you can. But I did an experiment. I actually shot a, uh, a Rolex day date. I think it was a day date, a gold day date with a paintball gun when I was out paintballing. I'm sure you can find that video on my Instagram somewhere.
caught a lot of heat over that. People were for doing it. But I actually wanted to see, will this thing withstand a blank, a point blank shot from a paintball gun? Now, I didn't go as far as shooting it with a real gun because it will destroy the watch. And guess what? Did nothing to that watch. So Rolex is pretty robust in that aspect due to their oyster case, right? Which is super tough. But if I did the same thing to an AP Royal Oak, I think that AP would withstand that shot just the same. So what's attainable out there that still is robust? Again, you have to look at lines within the watches, right? Because not within the watch brands, because you have some dressier lines, which obviously are gonna be less robust. They're gonna be a little bit more fragile. And then you have some specific rugged sporty watches. Panerai is another one of those brands where everything pretty much is very, very sporty. It's a very tough case. So they're gonna be pretty robust, right? Uh, Omega is another one of those. Breitling is another one of those brands, right? But for the most part, everything is very sporty and very robust and very rugged. And that Fijorn, like this one, is not ever never going to be as robust as Rolex because it's not meant to be that robust, right? I've never seen anybody go out there and uh, you know do rock climbing or do obstacle courses in that Fijorns, right? Uh, for the most part, people don't wear watches to begin with when they do those kind of things. But long story short is. Use common sense when looking across a particular brand. If a brand is known to be, not purely, but say mostly a sports brand, and this is their specialty, this is what they're specialized with over a long period of time, then odds are that's going to be your rugged watch. So certainly there are a lot of well-made, robust watches out there that are still attainable. They're going to be just as robust as Rolex. To get out there and say that Rolex is probably the most robust would be a fair statement if you look at the brand overall. But in every single other brand, I can find you at least a few watches that are going to be more rugged, let's say, than a Rolex Samara for that matter, right? Especially when it comes to diving watches. Bon Pond makes some crazy diving watches out there, and they're very, very robust. And you can take them to depths much deeper than that of a Rolex, right? So again, it's all in comparison. But the general rule of thumb is any sporty line across the major brands is going to be pretty robust for you. So I hope that answers your question. And I'm going to finish it here, guys. As always, I appreciate you sticking around. Keep the questions coming. As you know, email them to romansharp at luxurybazaar.com. That's what makes this show possible, and I appreciate all your questions. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button if you're not a subscriber to my channel. And share this video with your friends because this is what helps my channel grow organically. I'll see you guys next Tuesday.